0: Everyone, welcome back to Morgan Hasn't Seen. Yes, Janine, we are still on our tiny little modern black and white movie series, aren't we? Isn't it fun?
1: Yes, uh, it's been a while since we've done a little tiny series, but we have a big series planned. So um, just kind of wanted to fill out the rest of the February with something interesting uh, before we get into our fun, big Morgan hasn't seen series next month.
0: One extreme to the other, isn't it? <laughs> <Yes. laughs> isn't it always ridiculous when those kind of things happen? It is. It is. Yes. But yes, we're very excited for it, much like we're very excited to talk about this movie that we're talking about today, because it's a pretty kind of, or it feels at least like a pretty important movie. You know, yeah. like some of the movies we tend to do on Morgan Hasn't Seen are kind of smaller or, I'm not going to use the word meaningless because that's a little bit insulting, <laughs> but in terms of kind of uh, cultural and uh, relevance in society and movie history, some of them that we've done on Morgan Hasn't Seen surely have been that, but a lot of them tend not to have that stamp on them. Yeah. I think this movie we're talking about today has that stamp on it. Or at least it does for me.
1: I actually did a poll because I couldn't decide between this film and another newer film that was coming out with two pretty big stars. Modern Black and White came out this year. yeah, And I thought that was going to be kind of a unanimous winner of the poll. But the majority actually went for this older film. So, um i think that's a testament to you know the importance of this film and how it's viewed by a general audience i think i got at least 30 votes on it and um the 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 majority was for this film that we're talking today over the new one so
0: it's a good thing maybe maybe people just hate malcolm and marie (laughs) maybe they do (laughs) because apparently some people do Yes, I some guess some people there was really drama don't me, like it
1: with the age difference, but it's not like uh, you know, that's not a thing that's happened. Oh,
0: I haven't even heard that it's to do with drama about an age difference. I've heard that it's to do with kind of uh, the movie being very up itself in a in a Christopher Nolan kind of way, you know? oh. Where it's just kind of, it's so in love with itself and everybody making it is clearly so in love with themselves being, ooh, I'm making an artsy movie.
1: Oh. You know, it's
0: kind of all like that.
1: Pretentious.
0: Pretentiousness. I like to use the word up itself instead of pretentious <laughs> because it sounds more vulgar.
1: <laughs> well, I appreciate that very much. Thank you. <laughs> that <laughs> Thank sounds you, like Jeanette. pre-code talk to me. <laughs> does.
0: It does. Um, we're not talking about pre cool <laughs> movies today, obviously. Not we here, are not here at least. Not here, not here. We are talking today about Spike Lee's directorial debut, She's Gotta Have It, from 1986. The raw, gritty, grainy little piece of student filmmaking <laughs> that has kind of gone down in movie history for a uh, for, for many different reasons that we will of course get into during this but I'm to start off this episode I'm very happy that I have now seen this movie because I had actually um watched some of the Netflix series on oh. like the TV adaptation of it mm-hmm. but without ever watching the original the movie, movie mm-hmm. I don't know why I never watched the original movie because I I do quite like Spike Lee. Yeah. I just kinda never got round to to this one, which is his first one, and is actually kind of like a really short, fairly easy to watch movie. Yeah. There's nothing I mean there's there's a few little intense things going on, but it's not like any sort of heady piece of movie making no. for me to not. You know, for me to not want to watch it, but I've watched it now. That's the point of Morgan Hasn't Seen, isn't it? That's what we love about it, Janine.
1: Yes, yes, we do.
0: I think we do have to do one thing before we do get into the discussion, though. What may that be?
1: That is to say a huge thank you to the It's a Wonderful Podcast patrons. Uh, at the lowest tier, you get a thank you from us because we appreciate you guys so much for supporting us and coming and hanging out and, yeah, being patrons of what we do. So we, we got to say a huge thank you to you um, at the top of uh, one of our shows weekly. So we do. Here, here we are to say thank you. <laughs>
0: Here we are to say thank you to all the patrons of It's a Wonderful Podcast. If you would like to become a Patreon or are feeling generous enough to become a Patreon, just go to patreon.com slash it's a wonderful one. Search It's a Wonderful Podcast on Patreon. You'll find it both ways. Find the tier that's right for you. Whole bunch of fun stuff going on on the Patreon. Go through them all. If you're feeling that way inclined... We'd be most grateful. We would love you forever. We love you forever anyway, because you're listening to this episode of Morgan Hasn't Seen. But we, these people get a nice little thank you. Yeah. Special, special people. Uh-huh. So let's start by saying a big thank you to Maxwell Haddad.
1: And thank you, Amber Coates.
0: Thank you to Matthew Price.
1: Thank you, Abby Friel.
0: Thank you to Faraz Muthana.
1: Thank you, 90s Comics Box, a.k.a. my big brother, Justin.
0: Thank you, Video Drew.
1: Thank you to Adelaide.
0: Thank you to Corey Morissette.
1: Thank you, Christina Farrell.
0: Thank you, Heather Sabian.
1: Thank you, Megan Dr. Megs McCurley.
0: Thank you, Marcus Burton.
1: Thank you to Movie MovieFenobi Steve.
0: Thank you, Jake Yakavetta.
1: Thank you, Samir Tesfai.
0: Thank you to Patrick Harden.
1: Thank you, Carla Feast.
0: Thank you to Dwayne Burke.
1: Thank you, Adam Collins.
0: Thank you to Delisha Renee.
1: Thank you, Oscar Romo.
0: Thank you, Gigi.
1: Thank you to the great Ken Knapsack.
0: Thank you to Tom and Kimber of the Odd Shaped Channel. Thank
1: you, Eric Garcia.
0: And thank you, of course, as Janine always likes to say, to the best hype man in the biz, Billy Pollahan.
1: Woohoo!
0: Yay, patrons! Yay, thank patrons! You. We love the patrons. They're so great. Anyway, anyway, Janine, yes. she's got to have it. You put this movie on the poll, but were you happy it won the poll?
1: Yes. I mean, I I had some concerns that maybe there would be some kind of dispute or debate whether this was considered modern black and white because, yes, the, the 80s were quite a bit to go. Sure, I was, but, I mean, I was get over I it. Was, you know? I was two years old when this movie came out. So, um, yeah. you know, but I would say mod- black and white was kind of seen as a genre of filmmaking primarily you know in the 30s and the 40s and the 50s um and for for me
0: for me what constitutes a modern black and white movie is any black and white movie made after 1970 okay there. I would I would go that far back because you know me with the year nineteen seventy, for some reason I see the year nineteen seventy as this huge cutoff moment. Turn
1: into modern filmmaking. Um, because
0: you know the, the look, the late sixties, early seventies were a huge cut off moment in American filmmaking and it just so happens that American filmmaking is the biggest filmmaking country in the world. Yeah. So it, it, I think it makes sense why I think that or why I have this defined outlook on American movie history. But yeah, I, 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 cla- I would class a modern black and white movie as any black and white movie made after 1970. So I would even go as far back as like Woody Allen's Manhattan and things like that as a modern black and white movie, even though I don't think we would talk about woody allen's manhattan on a, a celebratory show <laughs> such as the it's a wonderful podcast uh, feed or anything like that yeah. as woody allen's manhattan for all it's kind of really showing its love of new york and its impressive movie making is a touch to real life creepy woody allen for me
1: yeah just a touch it, but just that. very obviously <laughs>
0: Just very, very obviously, real life creepy Woody Allen going after underage people yes.
1: again, yep. Woody Allen. Mm. Yes, well, but with with my poll, I was I was I was curious to see if people would kind of go for Malcolm and Marie, as you know, people do really enjoy the two actors, John David Washington yeah. and Dea, and you know I've heard things about really strong performances uh, from from them, and. Um, Definitely, as modern as you can get, it came out this year. So I thought that would definitely be something that people would want. But the majority of people actually did go for She's Got to Have It. So um, I you know definitely know why why do, why do you think? That well, is? it's
0: not just because of the, <laughs> of the cultural relevance that we talked about a little bit before. Um, it's just because it's it's a pretty it's a pretty good movie. <laughs> you know, yes. it's generally um, kind of pretty great, and people and it, like Spike Lee.
1: Yes, and I think if you're talking about um content wise i think this is definitely a very modern story <laughs>
0: oh my god yeah
1: and it's this like is... we don't really see um stories about women's independence done you know very often if you think about it you know
0: not in this way not in this very because obviously let's call it what it is she's gonna have it as- Purely a movie about sex. Yeah, it is a movie about sex and Nora uh, Nola Darling's sexual experiences. That is yes. what she's going to have. It's about and and her kind of her individual strength, her independence, and her kind of uh, self confidence and self assurance. Yes. And it shines throughout the movie, even in the kind of darker little moments of the movie i still think the movie ultimately ends and and continues to show nola as an incredibly strong incredibly independent you know self-confident woman yeah which yes might be you know we might see this kind of we might see this kind of movie a lot of the of these kind of protagonists a lot in in various genres, but very rarely do you see them in a tiny little movie that's ultimately about sex. And certainly you see that even less in a tiny little movie that's ultimately about sex from the 80s. And you see it even less in a tiny little movie that's ultimately about sex from the 80s that's also a black movie. (laughs)
1: Yes. And I think that's something where um, the black and white comes into play. Um, you know, Spike Lee is known for being a black director who tells black stories. But I Absolutely. think the absence of color, the absence of focusing on these people's color. Um, shows that it's just kind of a universal story and not just a black story. This could be like anybody's that. story. So that's kind of where I saw, because I think, you know, we're talking modern black and white. So I think it's important to discuss how the black and white works with these stories that we're talking about. So yes, um, this is definitely not a story that's inherently focused on a black experience, which is what likely no, no certainly to not. a lot. So I think that's why the black and white can also just kind of show that point that this is a universal story. It's not based on uh, a racial experience, a Black experience. Anybody could have this experience. Anybody could, you know, be in these situations. Uh, So, yeah, I think the Black and White definitely plays to the universalness of this story, universalness, if that's even a word, but I'm making it a word. Yes, of (laughs) course. So, you know.
0: (laughs) I, I, I do... I do tend to think this is what's kind of so impressive and what's always been impressive, continues to be impressive about Spike Lee as he, he does make absolutely, fundamentally, inherently black movies about black people and about black people's experiences that everybody can relate to. Yeah. Like even his movies that are distinctly, and like we said, in many ways, weirdly, she's got to have it for being his first movie. He's quite unlike a lot of his future movies yeah. that directly deal with
1: race. race.
0: You know, that absolutely directly deal with race. Look at his movie, you know, the movie that literally came like after it. Or is it like two after it, Do the Right Thing?
1: Yeah, um, it was School Days in 88 and then um, Do the Right Thing, which, I mean, School Days is uh, kind of based on race. It takes place at a black college, so.
0: Okay, okay. Um, Well, Do the Right Thing, of course, one of his most famous movies. Yes. But he's absolutely about race relations. (laughs) Yes. You know, that's the quality of that movie. She's going to have it isn't remotely about race relations, but it is entirely about black people. He is telling black people's stories. He is telling Nola Darling's story as a black woman. But it doesn't mean that me, a white man who grew up in the early 2000s, cannot enjoy this movie. Yeah. You know, it's not... This is what I've always liked about Spike Lee, that he's never... While he's very obviously um he he loves his culture he loves you know the history of black americans and of course you know he's he's very confident and i'm i'm struggling to find the words exactly to to describe what i'm trying to say But he's very, he's... um,
1: He's very confident in telling stories uh, about the black experience, about black history. He doesn't shy away from really delving into those kinds of issues.
0: He doesn't, no, that's, uh, yes, he doesn't shy away from it. And he continues to to be a a vocal presence of that... (laughs) Really struggling with what I'm trying to say. <laughs> Just going to put that out there. Sorry.
1: Yes, Terribly he is a huge sorry. advocate for telling these stories. And it's something Correct. he's always been very vocal about in and outside of film. Correct. Um, that's exactly what I was
0: trying to say. Yes. Um, so that's, you know, that's why I think he is so impressive. As he is able to take his personal affection. Affection was a word I was trying to use before. Okay. He is trying to he, he takes he's very good at taking his personal affection for the history of of black America and putting that into his movies Yes. whether he is presenting the experiences positively or negatively which he has done both yeah he has absolutely done both the love and affection is always or tends to always be there which which is admirable from my point of view absolutely admirable and it is there obviously in she's gonna have it um like 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 i say it's it it is that it is unusual that this is his first movie given what a lot of his his movies are, are, are about yeah Exactly, or is all the most well-known movies are about. Because it doesn't, because it could be anybody.
1: Yeah, it could be anybody having this experience. It could be any woman of any race in a situation where she's very confident sexually, and she's kind of bouncing between three partners and having to deal with the judgments that come with that, and um, people kind of trying to speak for her and what she means, and, you know really putting the stigma on her. Um, So that could happen to any woman of any race. Um, So yeah, that's where I think the black and white is really smart, a smart choice. And I tried to read a little bit to see if there was like an inherent reason why he went with black and white. Um, I assume that it was for, you know, cost reasons as this was his first film. It had a very tiny budget so much to the point where on breaks, he would have people not throw away their soda cans so that he could recycle them for the money. (laughs) Brilliant. Um, Yeah, this is what I love.
0: (laughs) Spike Lee's got so much love in him. You know, I just feel like he's a very passionate man. Yeah. And he's always been a passionate man, and that passion has not lost, you know, has not been lost over time. He's still as passionate now as he was was
1: 30 years ago. Yeah. And um, also he studied under Martin Scorsese um, uh, in college. So um in seeing something like raging bull that was definitely oh know, yeah. was filmed in black and white so definitely something that i think was the one thing i could find to really address the choice of black and white but i think the film I actually looks like really that. great and there's lots of uh great cinematic moments and shadows and we do get that kind of one bright scene in color with the dancing and we do um, which
0: does feel very early Lee, you yeah. know in, in terms of the really bright poppiness of the colour. Yeah. And you'd look at, you know, something like Do the Right Thing that's incredibly colourful all throughout and the colour pops off the screen in Do the Right Thing. And in the one scene in She's Gotta Have It, that dance number on Nola's birthday, the colour absolutely pops off the screen. It's not subdued. In the slightest, he has used colour to its full effect to, for this particularly happy kind of uh, joyful scene yeah. of it's kind of a it's kind of a, a freedom kind of scene, isn't it? With the whole dancing situation, it's yeah. when Nola's trying to Nola's obviously trying to figure out which suitor is best. That's kind of the whole movie. Uh, from a plot perspective but we're not i'm not too interested in the plot of the movie it's more the scenario of the movie that interests me
1: yes and you kind of i mean as a woman i do get very frustrated with how what these men try to put on nola what kind of society puts on nola um because This is a confidence that we're not really allowed to have, that men are allowed to have in that male privilege that happens. It's very frustrating. And he he exemplifies that so well that it's so easy for a man to sleep with multiple partners and be seen as like, oh, hey, you know, he's a he's a stud. But when a woman does it, she's a slut. And her having to be confident in knowing that she's not that, that she's somebody who's honest, who loves hard, who loves sex. Um, and that's just who she is. It doesn't define her in any way. But these men try to make that define her. And I think it's easy to kind of maybe pick which one is the best for her. But ultimately, you know, there's flaws there as well. Um, and she ends up kind of having to be true to herself. So um, going into this movie, I just love this depiction of a woman who is kind a hundred percent honest because she has no reason to lie about anything and to have that strength in herself and yeah, that frustration and watching it and just seeing how people want to pick on her and put her down and put these judgments on her and how hard it is for a woman, you know? So definitely frustrations always come when I watch this movie.
0: <laughs> I get that. You know, I I I I uh what what's the line, Janine? What's the line? I um I will never be able to relate, but I can always <laughs> empathize, you know. <laughs> There's, there's there's the line for you simon there's baker
1: line, for line for from something new has stuck with you all this time i, I appreciate that
0: is it not relevant in this situation i is. think it's relevant in this situation i think even, i used it quite correctly there thank you and, very and much
1: yes you did and i think spike <laughs> lee is doing the same you know yeah he he, is. he cannot relate as a black man he could you know he can be in a situation where he sleeps with whoever he wants and nobody's going to judge him for that um, so to write a woman who's very confident in her sexuality and enjoys sex and can admit that freely and try not to get bogged down by how people view her um, is him kind of trying to see it from that perspective. And you I just love that. how,
0: I just love how despite the kind of three and all three of them do it, the three kind of main suitors mm-hmm. to Nola in the movie they all do judge her for her confidence in, in yeah. different ways, in different ways. But they all do judge her to an extent for her self-confidence, for her independence and her g- love of just being free and love of sex. Like yeah. y- you said before, they do judge her in different ways. And um, and and her honesty, and in kind of different degrees as well. You you certainly get more judgment from one in particular, I think, yes. compared to the, the other two, and you get least judgment. I do have, to be honest with you, a, a an actual favourite suitor for Nola. And I know it, like the movie tells us we shouldn't, and ultimately we shouldn't, because for long-term reasons none of them are good are they no none of them are good at all um there is definitely a worst one
1: yes i would say it is greer
0: greer is horrendous <laughs> as a human being in all areas i do not like that man
1: no he, he's pretty terrible
0: he is all round. he seems to show no affection for her whatsoever
1: he is definitely looking for a prize, a trophy, um, someone to make him look better.
0: But what he does give us is the funniest scene in the movie. <laughs> to be fair to Grier, <laughs> he gives us the absolute funniest oh, yes. scene in the movie <laughs> when she's kind of really excited. Oh, okay, yeah, we're going to let's get into bed. Let's have some fun, you know, all that sort of stuff. She's there, she gets, she all takes, the clo- yeah. gets all the clothes off, lying there, all all nice, all ready, all... Prepared. Gria starts taking his clothes off and literally seems to take about 15 minutes to fold Fold all of his clothes clothes
1: and hang them nice on the chair. And she's just like, (laughs) you just pan back to her and she's just gradually like getting more bored and like rolling her eyes as he just takes them. And it's like not even like a suit, it's like workout clothes. And he takes off each article of his workout clothes and folds it nice and lays it on the chair. And she's just waiting, like, he totally Applaus killing to the vibe.
0: <laughs> Applause to everyone involved there for perfect comedy. Yes. I'm and it tells to, you all you need to know about going him. For. Yes. It was it was it does.
1: hilarious.
0: It does. Um no, I don't I don't like Greer at all. He's way too I'm gonna use it again, up himself. He's yes. way too up himself, Janine. I don't like Greer. Um Jamie seems quite Nice, to be honest, to start off with. Yeah. He seems really quite nice, really quite pleasant. Then he does something that's not so nice towards the end of the movie, so we don't like him.
1: But even you violent. know, you you feel violent, like but... you feel like he understands to a point and he respects her enough to a point. But then when she has the friend, the female friend who is attracted to her, who tries yeah. to start something with Opal. her, he's he, Opal. He's very rude to her. He's very dismissive of her. He's very jealous of her. Um, And that kind of gives you a glimpse because like you're liking Jamie up till that point.
0: You are. You and then really you kind are. of see
1: how insecure he is and how, you know, obviously he's not going to be able to handle nola situation for much longer and i think we no. we got no. hints of that because you're kind of rooting for him to, up to a certain extent and then kind of when i saw how he treated opal and how he you know couldn't get out of his own pride to just be respectful of somebody who cares about nola and trust that nola's like obviously nola told him you know he said it himself nola doesn't lie nola could never yeah. lie even if she tried so when Nola's is telling you she's not interested in this woman, she has no plans to pursue something. Yes, she, th- this woman, Opal likes her and wants something to happen, but she doesn't feel that for Opal. So that should be all he needs to know moving forward. But yet he's still very hostile and rude and jealous of, of Opal before even kind of the idea of the two other men come into play. So that is enough for me to already kind of stop rooting for Jamie and see that things aren't going to really end well. Um, because he kind of gets caught up of her telling him that he's the one that she loves and he's the one she wants to be with. So then he can't understand why then she just can't be with him. Um,
0: Jamie's insecurity is almost, almost worse than Gria's because Gria's is at least honest. Yeah. You know, Gria's insecurity is at least absolutely front and center, surface level for us all to see.
1: But he plays it, for him, you feel like Greer, yes, it's obvious to anybody watching him or hearing him that he's insecure, but to him, he thinks it's confidence.
0: Well, he does. uh, He absolutely does. So while it is honest,
1: while it's honest, he doesn't realize what it really is.
0: (laughs) No, no, he doesn't. But it's honest to everybody else, so we can all see the negatives there. Or Nola can see, you know, we as Nola can see the negatives there. But we as Nola... Can't immediately see the insecurity negatives of Jamie there until it turns a little bit nasty. Yeah, which is is unfortunate. And I know there's there's situations with a particular scene that Spike Lee's come back in in, in more recent times to express a little bit of regret over the handling over that kind of stuff, which is admirable from Spike yeah. Lee. To be fair, look it is spike lee's first movie it is absolute pure raw spike lee and raw in the rawest form because wasn't the movie not allowed to have retakes or something yeah, like no, that so they, everyone they didn't do any was retakes. the first take
1: yeah
0: you can tell you can honestly tell because like i said before when i said it was a little bit of a student film it like Almost is, but it's like the best student film you've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, because you don't know anybody in this movie. You know, they're all total unknowns at this point. Yeah. Um, and some also some members of Spike Lee's family. Yeah, I believe, his father. Are in the movie.
1: He always has his sister Joy in his films. Yeah. Um, his father played um, uh, Nola's father.
0: Yeah. Um, so it, it's funny that way, but I loved because. Obviously, it breaks the fourth wall. Come on, it's an early Spike Lee movie. Um, So it does that. But you can see sometimes in some of the kind of supporting characters... Like, Nola doesn't do it. What? Tracy... Tracy someone.
1: Uh, Tracy Tracy Camilla Johns.
0: Tracy Camilla Johns. She doesn't do it. She's great at doing it. And neither of the three guys... Well, you wouldn't expect Spike to do it, but... Spike Lee plays Mars, of course. We'll get on to yeah. Mars. I quite like Mars. Uh, um, he doesn't do it, but then he has his kind of stupid line at the end of the movie where apparently he just forgot what he was supposed to say, so just... Kept repeating, please, baby, please, baby, please, 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 <laughs> baby, please, baby. And, and
1: that's just... and that's kind of what he got known for. Like I remember watching episodes of like Tiny Toons or something, and like they do kind of these parodies of like directors, you know Spielberg and and you know actors and things. And I think whenever Spike Lee would pop up, <laughs> like they would do this, you know, caricature of him in cartoon form, and he would just be saying, "Please, baby, baby, please, baby, please." <laughs> yes.
0: You know what? Sometimes things just work out in all the right ways for someone, and that he must have really annoyed Spike Lee when he forgot his own yeah. lines. Yeah, but he just thought, "I, I can't, I can't afford to do it again. We'll just have to leave it. Yes. We'll just have to leave it." The fact that it's grown into something that he's loved for, and that has kind of become a little bit iconic in his career. Yes, just. It's look, but it's the sort of look that quality filmmakers kind of need
1: well, at and the start that, of
0: their careers, you know.
1: And that version of um, that of that character, Mars, actually kind of became a pop culture thing, like that character of mars blackman ended up kind of doing these nike commercials where he was kind of fast talking yeah, to the camera like yeah and you know because he's all about his nikes but it's like he's that he guy them. who has no job but still can afford nikes you know <laughs> um
0: he, he brags about <laughs> it in the movie What is he saying, like 50 50 nikes but i ain't got no job
1: yes he's like he and doesn't care he's the most kind of immature like she kind he is. of is he's a, he's a complete he's, child, yes. He is very young and naive and basically like a child. And I think, I think they all have a moment that illustrates kind of who they are, um, like in in the context of how they are with Nola. So, you know, we talked about Greer him folding his clothes and taking forever and kind of killing the spontaneity yeah. of some sex with Nola. Then we have, um, Mars, his kind of scene is when he asks her to do his hair. So then he yeah. kind of sits between her legs and she's doing his hair like how my mom used to do my hair when I was a little <laughs> girl, you know, put grease in my scalp and combing my hair into little, you know, whatever. And that definitely signified kind of his relationship with nola and who he is to her so i like that we got these kind of significant scenes with each one of these men to kind of show their relationship with nola and how we're kind of supposed to view them so we're definitely yeah. supposed to view mars as this naive kind of ridiculous immature child of the three we are um, which definitely That scene- he is that scene is like, hey, are you going to do my hair? Are you going to grease my scalp for me? And like, <laughs> just sit down on the floor and mommy will do your hair. Like, That's very, definitely the is, vibes of that situation.
0: It is. It is. But I, I feel like we can't help but liking Mars. Certainly by the end of the movie, the most out of the three of them. Although we, of course, realize that he's a, he's a dreadful long-term partner for no yeah, because he is he has got no v- no view of anything past next week yeah you know mars mars lives day by day yeah doesn't he he, he just he's day by day riding around on his bike with his really short basketball shorts on <laughs> and his massive nike trainers yeah and mars what eighteen karat gold chain
1: around his, but no job.
0: Neck, but no job. <laughs> yeah, um, that's not a
1: long term. Spike kind of Lee's guy. massive glasses on. Yeah.
0: <laughs> what a, I mean, for some reason, I only just like clocked it in this movie as well. Maybe it's because he was wearing these shorts. But Spike Lee, for 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 a short man, has got unbelievably long legs. Yeah. <laughs> there was a there was a shot. When Mars and Nola were kind of... It's at the end when she tells him, like... It's actually, it's please, baby, please, baby, please, 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 baby, and all that business. But it's when she tells him, Mars, it ain't going to work out. Yeah. It ain't going to work out. And he's just like, oh, it isn't? Oh, are you sure? I make you laugh, though, right? I make you laugh. But there's a shot from the back... And like Spike Lee's legs are actually longer than Tracy Camilla Johnson's, <laughs> but he's so much shorter than her. It's. Yeah. I've never noticed it. I've never noticed it. I love Spike Lee, but you yeah. know, y- you may have really long legs, Spike. Yes. A pre. Uh, you know, embrace your really long legs. Wear shorts more often. <laughs> Go for it. Go for it, Spike. Yeah, it'll make you look taller. Make you look taller. It will.
1: <laughs> um. It will. So I think, you know, we touched on Greer's kind of scene that signified who he was yeah. and Mars's scene. And I think Jamie does kind of get to. I think his scene was definitely the kicking off of him really being jealous of Opal and that kind of showed that he's not going to be someone who can handle Nola's yeah. kind of situation. Um, but also we did kind of allude to the scene that's kind of could be seen as a rape scene. Um, you know, Nola kind of does realize he's the one that she loves more than the other two. She actually has genuine feelings while she is interested in having fun with the other guys. He's kind of the one that matches her emotionally and she actually really cares for. Um, so when he kind of gets frustrated because she doesn't inviting the three of them for Thanksgiving, and she's kind of you know really proud of herself, she made this is the first time she's making dinner. She thinks that they're mature enough to handle it, but it all kind of goes wrong, and they all get it kind is of kind jealous. of really
0: hilarious again though that whole Thanksgiving situation. Yeah, it's such. I mean, for so, uh, Mars in particular, Mars is the funny one. Yeah. That's what he's kind of known for. But at least he constantly plays up the fact that he's the funny one by just coming by just coming back at, at Greer and JB at every possible time. Yes.
1: Same. And there's just all these digs at each other. Jamie's serving the turkey and he's just giving them like these tiny little pieces of meat. Oh I, there was
0: oh <laughs> that was hilarious. You've just reminded me of it. When Jamie's carving the turkey and he's asking you know, he asks Mars, Do you want yeah. the, the white meat or the dark meat? Mars says, "Oh, I love the dark meat." Gria says, "Give me some white meat." And Mars just says, oh, "It figures."
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> of course, he would want that. <laughs> and and Greer just looked at him <laughs> like, mm. <laughs>
0: "It was such a tiny little line, yeah. but oh, it tickled me. Yes. I had to pause <laughs> the movie and laugh properly. It was one of those moments. Yeah, you know,
1: <laughs> the shade oh. was very real." Um, so kind of after that, um, you know, Jamie, he's made these efforts. He like took her out for her birthday and like, you know, did had these dancers do a dance for her. And, you know, but he's ultimately getting frustrated that she's over here telling him she loves him um meanwhile she's still seeing these other two guys and it's not like it's something she's lied about it's not like something she's trying to hide no Uh, he is fully aware that she's seeing these other two guys but he's starting to get frustrated that she's not just seeing him so to kind of not even to do it for the status of you know i'm independent in my sexuality i'm a single person i want to be with multiple people because that's what I can do as an adult in charge of themselves. He starts sleeping with somebody else just to stick it to Nola. So the dancer that did the dance for her birthday, he ends up starting to see her and sleep with her. And he tells Nola kind of in a very harsh way. So while Nola is fully aware that she really has no right to be jealous, she, she's honest and she says, I am jealous. No, I don't like it. Um, Especially because I think she can tell his motives behind it. She's doing it because that's just who she is. Because she feels free enough to be with multiple people if that's what she wants to do. Um, he's doing it just to stick it to her. And so I yeah. think that's what is is upsetting her more about the situation than the fact that he's with somebody else. He's only doing it to like give her some kind of ultimatum or push or force her into something. Of course. And it like starts to kind of work. She gets jealous. She gets upset. You know, she tries to call him to come over and he like refuses to speak to her. He's mad with her, you know, and she doesn't like that. She's really hurt because she actually does genuinely care about him. So ultimately there's a point where she calls him and says, Hey, please come over. It's an emergency. It's an emergency. I need to see you. And he is very harsh with her, but he ultimately leaves the dancer to go see her. So you think, okay, well maybe, maybe he'll get his shit together. Maybe he'll realize that, you know, um, she is an important person and I respect how she views the world, but no, he's just very angry with her and still just is kind of pushing her to be with him and only him. And you know, gets gets himself very riled up and upset about the fact that she's still seeing other people and not just him and that she won't just be with him and he ultimately kind of forces himself on her and while she doesn't say yeah. no, he is very, you know, and she, she wanted him to come over to sleep with her. While she doesn't say the words no, he is very rough and forceful with her and how he yeah, kind of just leaves it's, it's it. It's
0: not like... It's it's a it's a case of she she doesn't say no, but she doesn't exactly say yes, please yes. carry on. And there is you this know? point
1: where she does say you're hurting me and he just yeah. kinda keeps going. And then when he leaves, he's just very harsh and he's like, And you know, I wanted to do that to hurt you but I actually enjoyed it. Which is and, a horrible. horrible thing yes.
0: To say.
1: So when I was kind of reading about this, Spike Lee said kind of his biggest regret in his work and kind of in general, when his biggest regret is really kind of glazing over mm. this scene as rape and not really delving into how serious a situation like this can be. He kind of just glossed over it and he said, you know, it was just, Uh, testament to him just being really immature and not really thinking about it that deeply. And maybe the fact that she, he didn't have her saying no or fighting him. um, It couldn't be fully seen as a rape situation, but him going back, you know, now he has apologized and has huge regrets for, for glossing over that scene like that and really not delving into the issue of rape as it is a very hurtful and traumatic kind of situation. So I really appreciate uh, him kinda of going back and looking at that and realising that it wasn't right to really just kind of gloss over that or kind of give Jamie a pass for that so easily.
0: Yeah, and and look, that's why that's why none of us uh, you know, calling for Spike Lee's head or anything like that for making light of such a situation because he has grown up as a filmmaker. And has come to realise the mistakes and has acknowledged them and, you know, apologised for them. And we all say, that's fair enough, Spike. Look, that was then, this is now. Yeah. That was then, this is now. And as a society, people weren't necessarily tuned in all that much as we are now. Oh yeah, know, we have been for the last 20 years or however long, you know.
1: Oh, yeah, or to even be aware that like um rape can happen within a like uh, in within a consensual exactly. relationship.
0: Exactly. It's it's um it's obviously not a thing that, it, it's not a new phenomenon, is it? No, but the kind but of people the, kind the, of the, the had this the understanding idea understanding of it, yes, the understanding I think people
1: have this of it idea. is that if you were in a in a relationship with somebody it was a consensual situation that if exactly. they forced themselves on you it wouldn't it it can't be seen as rape rape is with somebody who is forcing themselves on you someone you don't want something that's not consensual you know somebody you know or care about um people who love and care about you who you're in a relationship with can still rape you and so i think that wasn't really a thought thing really at the time so um i think maybe that that played so, into reasons for him to not think too much of it or to kind of dwell on it as that type of situation at that time but for have for him to go back and realize that that was wrong um i really respect him for that
0: absolutely absolutely complete and utter respect for him because he has grown to acknowledge the seriousness of it and it is of course a completely serious thing and an abhorrent thing for any individual to do to another individual um it is one of the world's most abhorrent things
1: yeah and i think um, that's what kind of really pushes jamie over the edge of us not really rooting for it him. Does. you it know does. and but nola you know still has those feelings and she maybe on some level felt like you know she deserved it just because of how he made her feel about how she was treating him um And I think she only lets herself kind of be there for a really short period of time until she kind of gets back to herself and realizes, you know... Exactly.
0: Exactly. This is what I particularly kind of enjoyed about the ending of the movie. Yeah, Is that she... We may have had this five or ten minute period where it seemed a little bit like Nola wasn't acting her usual... Kind of independent, free thinking, yeah, self confident yeah. person. Uh, you know, person that she is. She wasn't acting that sort of way. She was being rather needy towards yeah. Jamie um, when Jamie had, had had done this to her, and, yeah. and we're thinking
1: this, is, this isn't This, is, Nola this, that is that is this isn't. Yeah. yeah,
0: exactly. This isn't you know Nola. This is a little bit strange, but she gets over that she gets over that. If the movie had have ended with her being entirely forgiving to Jamie and still being all like, "Oh Jamie, I want Jamie." We would have serious problems. Yes, it would have negated the character,
1: problems. it would have negated the respect I had for him depicting a woman being so self-confident in terms of sex and herself and her truth. Um the, because the movie it's something the honestly, relevance. like I said earlier, yeah, that we don't really see very often. We don't really see a woman being confident in her sexuality and being okay with that and not succumbing to these judgments that aren't put on men for doing the same shit. Um, and I think Spike Lee's done that several times in his films. So I love that, um, you know, while we did get those moments like immediately where she's kind of talking to her former roommate and friend played by Joy yeah. Lee that, um, you know, she kind of still misses Jamie and she wants to be with him. And like you said, kind of needy, um, it had it. The first watch for me had me worried. Like, oh my gosh, is she really gonna like that? Would just totally negate the power of this character and the story, and showing such a confident, sexual woman. Um, had she just kind of succumbed to Jamie, particularly after what he did?
0: But I think we should have known better, because <laughs> I, as as you With know, the viewers ourselves, viewers I think him, we should. Yeah. I think we should have known better by the fact that not only do we know Spike Lee not only do we know that she's got to have it has gone down as a incredibly bold important movie not just in the history of of black cinema and independent cinema but just kind of movies anyway yeah it's a it's a important little piece to just whack in there cuz it's unlike anything else around it you know at, at the time um and it's incredibly refreshing in that way.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But with all that knowledge, we should have known that this wasn't going to end up in a, some sort of terribly problematic I forgive you for raping me movie.
1: Yeah. We
0: should have known that, right?
1: Yes. Fools uh, <laughs> that we are to yes. not realise that, that, that wasn't that going to That wasn't where it's going to go. Because we do see a whole scene where she kind of goes to Jamie and she tells him, like, she's, he's the one that she wants to be with and all of this. And look, um, that would
0: have been terrible if yes. the movie had have ended. Like, the movie would not be the icon it currently is or has been. It would... Spike Lee probably wouldn't have a career. Yeah. You know, if the movie had Of of being just
1: being with someone and being okay with someone to do that to her after we've set her up as this honest, confident, self assured woman, deeply Um, problematic. Yes. So she kind of does want Jamie back at a certain point, but then in the end she realizes no, she doesn't really need anybody. So she kind of ends things with Mar. She ends things with Greer, and she doesn't go back to Jamie. And she ends the movie alone. Can um, not you just, feel sorry for Mars for just, Mars for just a little bit? <laughs> yes, um...
0: Mars just wants someone to take care of him. Poor little Mars.
1: Yes, poor little baby Mars.
0: Um... <laughs> um... <laughs> what I love about what I love about him is that he he doesn't actually do anything directly wrong. He's just a little kid. That's the problem with him.
1: Yes. While well, he does kind of behind the scenes, though, talk about her in the way that most people would talk about a woman like that. He does call her a freak and, oh, um, you know. It, and that that is true. That she, it's a fair point. You know, and how she's just sleeping around all the time. And he does kind of judge her behind the scenes for those things, but then takes full advantage, you know?
0: He does. Look, that's that's what I was saying before. They, they do all judge her to a different extent because Marzi's judgment isn't negative, well, it is negative judgment because it's, you know, um, it is telling the world that or telling other people that she is a particular thing that she may acknowledge herself, she is, but it's not for Mars to tell everybody that. Yeah. And these other people may judge her unfairly because of it because they've heard it from someone else and all and you know spiral and spiral and spiral and spiral and and god knows where that sort of stuff goes but mars doesn't judge her to her but is that is that worse is that better we don't know see this is the intelligence that's kind of at play with this movie because the movie is about judgment and dealing with judgment and being strong in the face of judgment and ending realizing that i don't need all this judgment i am who i am i love myself
1: yes and for to have her end the movie alone um and have and that happy be, have and that, happy that, yes and have that be the positive ending like you don't see that like there's always a happy ending she's always going to end up with the right one and you know in some kind of schmaltzy version of this yeah but to just really have her and the movie where she started still just being as confident and self-assured and openly sexual and you know not really giving a damn what people think and you know there's also that added layer of while these men do judge her they're still taking full advantage of of the thing that they're judging you know um, certain
0: journeys are important in anybody's life But it doesn't mean that we have to end that journey with a person who may be bad for us. It just means that we've kind of taken that experience and added it to our brains as something to look for in the future. But as long as we are happy at the end of a situation, like Nola is at the end of this movie ultimately, then we've actually gained a lot just because it's a romance movie that ends with our protagonist alone yeah it that's not important because it ends with our protagonist happy yes that's the most important thing you know, you, being with somebody who you are miserable with how is that better than being happy alone because you're with somebody because you've got company it's terrible company though <laughs> what's the benefit of company if it's bad company
1: yes exactly be, alone,
0: be happy alone this is for all my fellow lighthouse keepers in the world. <laughs> Be happy alone. Of
1: course, if you have you can to find, find a way. If, if you can find a way to pepper in Shrek or the lighthouse into <laughs> anything we discuss on any of these shows, you've won the Janine, day, Morgan. <laughs> you're
0: Janine, you're unlucky because this is a, a black and white movie that's shot in four four by three square aspect ratio.
1: Yeah. It's good. So you really,
0: I mean, I don't even think, I think The Lighthouse is a bit of a more wacky aspect ratio than that, to be honest, but still. black and white. Modern black and
1: white. Modern black and white.
0: <laughs> modern black and white. No, but look, I, 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 I do stand by that. I do stand by that. And I like the fact that this movie has that message that experiences are important because they can educate yourself about life. Yep. It doesn't have to result necessarily in any final thing. We can just take that and be happy we we ha- happy we did that, you know.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, happy. Nola can be happy she did that. It Doesn't change her. She just takes what she's learnt and moves on. Because that's what life life moves on. Life finds a way, as Jeff Goldblum says. But Jeff Goldblum's nowhere to be seen in this movie. Why? <laughs> you forgot I the, up uh, Jeff you forgot Goldblum. that. I uh. <laughs> did forget that. Uh, I'm sorry, Jeff Goldblum.
1: Life uh, finds a way. <laughs> um, I
0: apologize. But is that not is that not ultimately what the movies talking about? I think it is. That's what yes. I take.
1: That's what I take as well. Um, you know, she starts this journey, you know, really explaining that she hates the stigma that people, but she hates the word freak. Like, she's just yeah. living her life, being confident, being sexual, being self-assured. She gets into this situation with these three men. She thinks, you know, she's handling it pretty well, but they're the ones who aren't handling it. And then they kind of put that on her as well. Um, ultimately, it's a kind of end where she started. Uh, still feeling really confident with herself and realizing that you know she's going to do what she wants to do and she's going to need to find somebody who is as as secure as she is
0: she so, is she is it and really
1: it really I... illustrates the insecurities of men and um that women definitely do not have the advantage in many situations including their sexuality um you know it it's definitely playing to male privilege and showing how that it plays is. out um. So yeah, if anybody wants to see a movie that really shows a situation where um, male advantage is a full display, and a woman kind of trying to just fight through that, and an example of a woman, you know, living like a man, you know, uh, I think. That...
0: Yeah, that's that's kind of a perfect phrase. Yeah, I like that phrase because it is, and. How admirable from everybody involved with this movie to make such a movie as this. And, you know, particularly Spike, to have such kind of uh, a a realisation of people's places when it comes to sex and that that world of God knows what happens in the far corners of that world, you know. Um, but to, to have the intelligence and the realisation that there's such a significant difference between how men and women and everybody else views sex and is treated by sex, you know, is, is incredibly different. For him to have that as such a young director making his first movie, is incredibly admirable again.
1: Yeah. And Despite the,
0: what we've talked about with the potential glazing over of a potentially problematic moment, yeah, he can come back years later and acknowledge and apologize. And that just shows us that we should have even more respect for the man.
1: And especially having these takes and thoughts um, at this time period. You know, yeah, it's the mid-80s. Weren't, people weren't looking at women... Uh, in any kind of boss, any kind of authoritative, any kind of confident way. um, It was, you know, still to this day, it's a very male dominated, male privileged kind of world. So for him to kind of tackle an issue like this of a woman being so confident in her sexuality so early and in this time period, you know, of the 80s, I think that was super bold and I think a story that definitely needed to be told and to know mm. that women like this exist and women can be like this and shouldn't have that judgment or stigma. So, um, for him to tell that story at this time, um, and know that that was a story that needed to be told or something that needed to be shown and have people be aware of, um, says a lot about him as a filmmaker that he could he see that and and pay attention to that and want to tell that story as his first story, you know, to tell a story about a confident woman, like, I will have so much respect for him for wanting to showcase such a strong, a... bold uh, character who's really real and honest and uh, so confident, so.
0: he He's a, a real auteur, to use that word, isn't he, really? He is incredibly distinct with his movies. Spike Lee's movies, or Spike, uh, you know, Spike Lee joints, as he likes to say. And we all like to say, I suppose, when it comes to <laughs> Spike Lee movies, yeah. are incredibly distinct. And you can even you can see it as far back as this movie. Despite the despite the fact that at times it feels unlike a Spike Lee movie in terms of content and maybe messages and that kind of stuff, certainly the race element isn't there in this movie yeah. because it's irrelevant but the filmmaking techniques that Spike has taken throughout his whole career and we've seen in many of his other movies you can notice them in this movie yeah like down to the fourth wall breaking right from the start that's something that's brought been brought back again and again and there's other there's other little editing things and just the way things are shot And And the music. And the music, what stuck out to me also really, really strongly, and we know Spike Lee has this, but the absolute clear and obvious love of New York City. Yeah. He loves the place. He adores New York City. (laughs) And you can tell in this movie, because despite the fact that it's incredibly cheaply made... Beautifully shot, and you yeah. get those little snippets of photographs yeah that are just showcase serious love in a way in a way in a weird way and I know I brought this up before as a as an issue of a movie Manhattan Woody Allen, but it's a little bit like that in terms of its love of New York City yeah. you know that Manhattan has love of Manhattan she's got to have it has love of Brooklyn it's it's but it's the same love of the same city and maybe if you're from new york you're shouting at me now saying brooklyn's better than manhattan but where's queens we forgot about queens i don't know Uh, (laughs) where's the movie about where's the movie where we love queens that's coming to america that's the movie where (laughs) we love queens We need a Bronx movie. A Bronx Tale. A Bronx Um, Tale, there you go. There's not much love for a Bronx in A Bronx Tale, though, is there, I suppose? It's more like, oh dear, haven't we messed up here? That's that movie. Um, Anyway, we've got movies (laughs) set in all the boroughs, it's fun. Uh, But yeah, I, I get that very strongly as well. I get a serious love of New York that we obviously know Spike Lee has, doesn't he? I mean, I know he doesn't at the moment, but doesn't he still go to like every New York Knicks game?
1: Yeah, pretty much. Or something nonsense
0: like that. I mean, the man's insane. I don't know how he does because, you know, he's making movies and stuff, so he probably doesn't go to every single <laughs> one. That's a hell of a lot of basketball to watch. Um, But I... No, I... I get that. I get that very strongly. I'm very happy I've watched this movie. Yay. It just feels like a very... feels like an important movie. And let's not forget, that this is yet another new black movie that I've watched. Yay! Which I know you're really happy about. Of but I'm also really <laughs> happy about. Because it's just new things. It's diversity in our movie making and movie watching. And we all need that because we can all become too pigeonholed into watching the same stupid Chris Nolan movie every over and over again. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that just goes, Bwam, and he's very up itself. I've used up itself.
1: Again. Yes, yes, definitely. Christopher Nolan can be very up himself. Or
0: oh, um, Tarantino. Or oh, Tarantino. Yes, Let's be fair. Definitely. Tarantino was incredibly up himself. I just happen to like his
1: movie.
0: <laughs> I just happen to find but his movies can, entertaining <laughs> and not stupidly trying to be intelligent.
1: Yeah.
0: There's the, there's the difference between... Um, famous up themselves, white men of Hollywood, Janine. Yes. Chris Nolan likes to think he's more intelligent than he is. Tarantino doesn't care about intelligence. He just wants to have fun. Yes. (laughs) There's the difference. He wants to have fun, but he wants to have fun in a very I love movies way.
1: Yes. I love so many things and just put them all into my (laughs) movies. I love
0: so many things if you don't understand what I'm doing, you you're an idiot, yes. but it's because I, I love all these many things. Understand my references. Chris Nolan's just like, understand my weird intelligent time travel situation. <laughs> no, Chris Nolan, yes. had... no, Chris Nolan, we're not interested. And he actually dream worlds. <laughs> no Chris Nolan, we're not interested. But what about my weird World War II movie? No Chris Nolan, we're not interested. <laughs> we're I mean, not interested he,
1: he actually was part of the whole modern black and white as well but it, uh, the, the use of it in his film does feel a bit pretentious in memento
0: oh god oh, what about my weird non-linear things but Tarantino did it before you didn't he Chris Nolan <laughs> And many other people have done it before you. But but I told a movie that was forwards but backwards. Shut up, Chris Nolan. Go away.
1: <laughs> and on the next episode of our We Hate Chris Nolan podcast.
0: <laughs> on the next apparently. episode. I don't even hate Chris Nolan. I don't even <laughs> hate Chris Nolan. He is just aggressively pretentious. Maybe it's his fans. Maybe. Maybe he's just ingrained his fans with being incredibly pretentious. Look, Janine dark Knight movies i love the dark Knight movies yes york can shut I up think... i do, Chris I <laughs> I do love christmas i think if Chris people
1: Noll didn't think he was pretentious before i think uh i still haven't seen it but i think tenet i, probably oh, I sealed, think did, though, sealed the I think fate on did.
0: that <laughs> we're bending reality just watch wow. Vision. watch wandavision <laughs> that bends reality there you go that's fun we don't have to think <laughs> or you don't you make us think but I don't think you mean to make us think, Chris Nolan. I think you're trying to you're trying to be too clever. You're trying to be too clever, and you come off you, you 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 come off as hateable. Anyway, 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 anyway. Well, Spike Lee, Spike Lee doesn't, doesn't do that. Spike Lee doesn't do that. <laughs> <laughs> applause He's very to Spike honest
1: Lee. and straightforward. Um, applause
0: to Spike Lee. Yes. We love Spike Lee. Yay! Thanks, Janine, for showing me this movie.
1: Oh, you're welcome, and thank you to everyone who voted in the poll.
0: Definitely. Um,
1: I am really excited for next week's choice and uh, yes, I've been wanting th- to show you this movie for a long time. I think you'll really enjoy it. I'm surprised Thanks. you have yet to see this next week's pick. <laughs> yeah, so
0: am I. So am I. The last movie in our modern black and white series, Janine, before a big series that we'll we we'll, we will properly announce, I suppose, on the next on next week's uh, episode, won't we? What is next week's movie?
1: Uh we'll be talking Pleasantville.
0: Pleasantville. From 98 ish, I think. Something like that. It's got Toby Maguire in. Mm-hmm. We like Toby Maguire. He used to play Spider Man.
1: Yes. So this That's definitely a movie has that loves, unique... loves New York. <laughs> yes. It is.
0: Wow. It is. Spider Man loves New York. <laughs> he
1: does. He does. And New York loves him. <laughs> and New York loves him as well. <laughs> yes. Yay.
0: Yay for Spider Man. Yeah. <laughs> we like Spider-Man anyway. Um what what uh, do we have anything else to say about She's Gotta Have You Janine?
1: Uh, just just great a great film, a great opening, very simple story. Um female empowerment, hell yes. yeah. And lovely use of black and white. Even if it was used in a uh, you know, uh financial <laughs> way, I think it still looked great. I think he used it well. And like I said, I think it definitely plays to the point that how people look race-wise, color does not really play a huge factor in the story. Um, yeah, it's it's about definitely. the story itself. It's about the people um, and not inherently about race, which would kind of come later for him. So you don't really need the color because it's not a story yeah. about color. So
0: Perfect way to end. I think that is a perfect way to end. And morgan hasn't seen which is this show you are listening to right now is not the only show you can find on the it's a wonderful podcast feed we have machine mondays every monday with janine the machine sat right over there talking all her schmo down things we also have the main show itself it's a wonderful podcast every friday where we celebrate and show love and discover some of those older movies we love so much um it's always a good time on It's a Wonderful Podcast, the main show, much like it's always a good time on every show we have on the It's a Wonderful Podcast feed. Um, you can find the podcast feed on Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcast, CastBox, everywhere else podcasts can be found, or just on Twitter at It's a Wonderful One. You can follow the, uh, subscribe, I should say, to the It's a Wonderful Podcast YouTube channel, which is where we do the watch-alongs and that kind of stuff. We'll have more videos coming there as well in the very near future because it is now officially the its a wonderful podcast youtube channel just search its a wonderful podcast youtube you'll find it there it's got our main logo so you'll see it you'll see it it's there um subscribe to there for all the all the good stuff that's going on there patreon we've already been over the patreon its a wonderful podcast mm-hmm. on patreon if you would like to be particularly generous we would love you forever you can find me on Twitter at the Purple Don with the three instead of the e in the because Janine.
1: three is the magic number.
0: Or on Instagram at just the Purple Don, you and all your good stuff
1: are at where. You can find me for now on Twitter at Janine <laughs> <laughs> underscore. Long story. Uh, you can find me on Instagram at Janine DeBean. Um, and yeah, if you want to check out any of my artwork or get any merch for any of our shows, you can find all of that at my TeePublic shop at G9Design on t-public.com.
0: Well, there we go. I do think there is only one thing left to do. Now, Janine, do you want to do it in a slightly stereotypical New York accent? Oh.
1: Uh. Sure. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like, can I do that? Three. Two. <laughs> one (laughs) Bye. bye that was terrible